You're listening to CX Passport, the show about creating great customer experiences with a dash of travel talk. Each episode, we'll talk with our guests about great CX, travel, and just like the best journeys, explore new directions we never anticipated. I'm your host, Rick Denton. I believe the best meals are served outside and require a passport. Let's get going. Today, I once again get the opportunity to be made jealous as I speak with another guest from the gorgeous islands of Hawaii, Ken Peterson, president of Question Pro. I don't normally see the phrase, a background in mathematical operations research, and think, customer experience. But that's exactly what Ken brings to the table. Beyond that mathematical analytic prowess, though, after talking with Ken, I understood his focus on getting to action, using all that research to enable a company to actually do something with what they've learned. With an experience set that spans multiple industries, such as retail, hospitality, technology, travel, and many others, Ken knows how to guide companies through vast troves of data into understanding through action, and ultimately into improving customer experience. Action. It's a key theme for Ken, and it'll be a key theme for us today. Ken, welcome to CX Passport. Thank you. Going to have a lot of fun here today. Now, I, for those, I know it's an audio-only podcast, but Ken has decided to make sure that there is a beach setting in the background behind him just to make me that much more jealous about having a Hawaiian guest. Ken, you're not my first Hawaiian guest, but I seem sense a recurring theme that you do like to make those of us not on the island somewhat jealous. We like to make people aware of our surroundings. <laughs> Look at your word choice. I love it already. Well, longtime listeners know that I care a lot about action. That's uh, I, It doesn't matter if you've got the fluffernutter of theory if you're not doing something with it. So that actual getting fingers on your keyboards and doing something that drives customer experience. So let's start right there. How do you help companies move to action? Well, and, you know, we, we, we're so familiar with these hierarchies, the pyramids that say, oh, data, information, insights, and, you know, all of that is great. You have to build one to get to the other, and I, yeah. I completely agree with it. But from that insights, you need to start generating ideas where you can take action. And I think that's where the disconnect comes. We get caught up in a world of, well, is this statistically significant? You know, if we moved it by this much, you know, it's great to know that you, if you move a rep knowledge score by 5%, your NPS scores goes up by one, mm -hmm. but how are you going to move rep knowledge? I mean, it's, it's generating ideas, targeted training new, on new products, you know, like putting together a frequently asked questions document or, you know, forbid, uh, enabling Google on their browsers so they can actually look up an answer <laughs> while they're talking to a customer and being able to, you know, generating those ideas that can actually help them and support them. And I, I think it's, it's a struggle for a lot of people to go from, Hey, I have all this data. I've turned it into insights. Now what? Yeah. I see that a lot too, when I'm working with companies, working with clients, that idea of how do we get from those insights into data? I'm going to ask you about tools here in a second, because I think tools are a pretty important part of making that happen. But I got to go back to something you said that I, those don't sound like hypothetical examples. Have you been faced with a client or an opportunity where you're like, guys, you just got to at least put Google on their browser so they can answer the dumb questions, uh, the, the insightful questions that a customer provides to them. I have. And, and sometimes it's as simple as if you're, if you're speaking to someone about finding a location where you can get the servicing done on whatever product or whatever you need, the fact that they can't say, oh, well, this location is X miles away from you because they can't look it up. You, you know, that would be so simple. 
And it's such an effective customer experience as well. I mean, to say, hey, I found this location. It's 2.5 miles away from me. All you have to do is, you know, hop on the 10 bus if you want to and get there. And, you know, like these little things, you know, it, it's always the little things uh, that we, you know, we talk about that make a difference. But, yeah. you know, we, we sometimes put the handcuffs on people and we start when we start talking about insights because we put handcuffs on everyone by start talking about, well, how much does it move? What would this do? Yeah. And it's like at some point you have to take that leap and say, we're going to do something about it. Boy, that and we could do an entire podcast about what you just said there. And I may still carve <laughs> out some time talking about it because the idea of these little things. I think that's so much of what I've seen is the drive to action. A lot of times it's, okay, well, what's the big thing that's going to be revolution? Let's put in a tool that identifies where the customer is because the GPS on their phone while they're using the app and they tie it to the service. Yeah. And Ken, you're suggesting just give your rep the opportunity to put a mapping tool in place and see which bus to take. Uh, simple, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a trust element there as well. And I think we've seen companies struggle with some of the trust with agents and being able to allow them to do things like that. And I wonder if some of the insights that we'll talk about may help companies start to unlock some of that trust with their agents so that, you know what, okay, here's some of the themes. Let's enable our agents to solve those themes. But you're not going to get to that without going from insights to action. I know that tool selection is such a vital part of that. And I've told clients, just get started. If it's scrappy, that's fine. But eventually it is tools that are going to help a company move up that, that, that customer experience maturity curve. So in that same vein of action, what do you see? What do you recommend that a company need to consider when they're moving from selecting a tool to the actions that actually impact customer experience? Yeah. I mean, tool selection is a huge start. Uh, not every tool is right for every circumstance uh, and hallelujah <laughs> i mean i've worked with all i mean i've worked with all of them in the space i won't name the names but my prior role i was partner lead and you know we picked and chose which tool was right for which client yeah. and you know no no one's gonna say i mean i'm not gonna walk forward and say oh my tool isn't perfect for you. No, I'm going to walk forward and say mine is. Of course, we're in sales. Let me tell you but all the flaws that I have. We, yeah, we've got to get beyond sort of that, you know, falling for the gimmicky, cool things. And, uh, you know, we fall for it too when they say, oh, look at this insights tool that we have. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, yeah, that's a priority matrix. That's not an insights tool. It's <laughs> something that you can right. take and take your information and turn it into knowledge. Okay. That's great. Um, but really it's, you know, it's understanding the business needs. I mean, there are platforms out there that are all about closing the loop. Mm -hmm. If that's where your business is, it's probably the appropriate tool. And then, you know, it's, it's then taking and finding I mean, like one, you can get a mobile app that does deep dive analytics for your store managers. Like, who needs that? Who, who needs a store manager doing deep dive analytics on their <laughs> mobile app? You know, it looks really cool. Right. But, you know, ultimately, it you've got to get the right tool. Once you get that right tool in place and set up, it should be easy to run, should be easy to set up. And it allows you to get to that point where you're, you know, you're actually doing the operational things that need to be done instead of worrying about, is the data correct? Did we get enough representation from this customer right. or things like that?
This is your captain speaking. I want to thank you for listening to CX Passport today. We've now reached our cruising altitude, so I'll turn that seatbelt sign off. While you're getting comfortable, hit that follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. Love if you'd tell a friend about CX Passport. Leave a review so others can discover the show as well. Now, sit back and enjoy the rest of the episode. Your, your deep dive analytics tool for the store manager intrigues me. And the idea, not because I think that's a great idea, right? But instead, mm -hmm. what is the deep dive analytics that takes place that is then presented to the store manager in their hands so that they can do something that's particularly relevant? And it seems like that's a, a big part of getting to action is taking those insights, but then moving them into something that's usable, doable. Here's the action mm -hmm. that needs to be taken. Here are the things that you know, customers in a particular store that day, I don't know if you've got that kind of volume coming in, your customers are upset about this or your customers aren't finding this item over here. What are I, this, I'm a little out of my lane here, a little bit predicting <laughs> what that idea might be. But so how do you see that? How, how do you help companies or just even kind of what have you seen be successful going from that insight to here's the action, the, the, the decision that can be made based off of those insights? Well, it's important to think about it at two levels, too. I mean, a store manager is going to have a certain level of expertise, knowledge. They're not going to have a degree in statistics, most likely. Um, I'm, I'm making a broad assumption there, but, you know, they're not going to be. <laughs> Sorry for those store and, listeners out there with PhDs. Yes, but. <laughs> yes exactly. Um, but they're not going to be able to go in and create their own priority matrix and then know exactly what to read from it on a screen that's, you know. Uh, what, what are they now? 6.2 inches wide. I mean, they, they're, that's just not their base. Mm -hmm. So what you need to get in their hands is you need to get, you know, what are customers talking about? Good and bad. And what actions do you need to take with specific customers? And then you got to take that step, that level up and be able to say to, you know, a district manager, regional manager, or even coming from corporate saying, here are some initiatives that we're going to roll out mm -hmm. that are important to you and be able to communicate it through a similar channel. So they're not going to the desktop computer to get the initiatives. <sighs> they're not getting a memo to say, okay, here's how we're going to change these processes. And then, oh, by the way, your scores are on your phone. So being able to look at it all in one place, being able to understand those goals, it's really, you know, it's those steps that just take it. Okay, here's all the insights you need. Here's everything you need. Now just take the action. And that's what's missing most of the time. Boy, and exactly. So presented in a way. And I like how we're, we we didn't really intend to get there, but we're talking about the front line. How do we enable the front line to do what they need to do, right? What you're saying. And those listeners that are out there, we've been in conversation with people who have not worked in the front line, be it on the phones or be in the store. My part-time job when I was growing up was first in the grocery store and then then ultimately into retail. And so I get it. And those of us that sit at a desk think about the desktop and we're sitting there faced with information that's <laughs> yeah. easily available to it in email. And I've been at clients that talk about, you know, well, we sent out that information by, by email. Why, why is no one in the store understanding what we said? Because they don't ever look at a computer monitor. We've got to find a better way to communicate. And I think what you said there about the, uh, another way to get to action is make sure that those that are doing the action are presented it in a mechanism, in a mode, in a tool that they can actually use and have readily accessible. Exactly. You talked about the customer's voice and we, you and I have talked about surveys before and I can't open up LinkedIn without seeing another bad survey example. It's become kind of trendy to show, look at this crappy survey and it's been kind of fun. I even did it a few months ago when I was uh, requested to fill out this <clears throat> 
short survey, and this was the quote in there, which should only take you 15 minutes. Like, 15 minutes is not short. Have you lost your mind? So beyond length, there are so many factors around survey design. So to you, what does a good survey look like, and why is that good? It is a good survey is respectful of your customer's time. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's start there. And that, that encompass, I mean, I'll, I'll say that's it. That's the, the whole answer, but that whole answer <laughs> encompasses a lot. Uh, it needs to be short and concise. It mm-hmm. needs to be honest upfront. If you say, I mean, if you took that 15 minutes survey, was it 15 minutes or was it closer to 30? Oh, there's no uh, way I opened that bleeping thing. Once I saw 15 <laughs> minutes, I, I launched a particular finger at the screen and moved on. So <laughs> delete, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so it, it's got to be short and concise. And I, I think the one thing we, we just get in this habit because we have so many data silos in organizations, we ask customers questions that we should already know the answer to. Wow. And it's like, stop doing that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, give them the opportunity to have their say. And I, I'm not, you know, I, I won't say, oh, one KPI is better than the other. They all have their qualities. They all have their reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I always find it odd that someone asks uh, a net promoter score on your operating system. Uh, it seems, you know, like, an, you know, are, are you ta- walking around talking about your, well, Rick, how would you recommend Mac OS versus? I, I frequently uh, over Thanksgiving, you know, it, it, people want to talk about, you know, sports or politics. Topic, no, we talk about operating systems across exactly. my Thanksgiving table. Yeah. So, you know, picking the right KPI is important, but it's not going to be the thing I dwell on, but it's yeah. like, get the KPI, get their feedback, get their comments, and then find out a root cause. I mean, just find out just one that one little additional thing. Quit hitting them with battery of attributes. Quit hitting them, are you a registered owner? When you already know you have that information, <laughs> but you're going to ask it again because you can't get you know, the team that owns the marketing registration list to come back and say, okay, here's, you know, Here's all the registered and non-registered owners. Mm-hmm. Okay, know that information. Um, oh, I think the other thing is, I mean, it, and it comes back to length. Give them the motivation. Yeah. Um, you don't, you know, be honest about it. But then it takes time to gain their trust that you're actually going to do something with it. Mm-hmm. Don't keep asking questions um, and not be prepared to handle that feedback. I mean, that's probably one of those things that I, I've, said many times to prospective clients that probably results in us not getting the business uh, because I said, you're not ready. You know, you're not, you're not set up for this. You're, you're, you're going to ask 50 questions because you know nothing about your customers. Well, why don't you have your sales reps go back out and talk to your customers and then come back and find out, you know, what are they actually looking for? Um, You know, ultimately, you know, again, not against nothing against statisticians. I'm a mathematician. So, you know, I have a love for them, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a statistician on a, you know, a post hotel survey, you know, to figure out what needs to be improved. The, the customers say it. I mean, right. they say it over and over again. And right. you can have sentiment analysis. You, If you have, you know, a simple root cause facilitation question in there, you can get to it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to get the insights, you know, save the statisticians for combining your EX and your CX, your operational data and all that. But, you know, within the customer experience realm, you know, your customers are giving you the insights if you make it concise and make it important to them. 
And that, that gets back to even what we were saying earlier around action is it, you don't have to go through all these different layers to know what the right thing is. So to your, your point there, you don't need all these layers to understand what your customer is telling you as long as you've designed a respectful survey and that you've given them the trust that you're going to do something about it. I never really had tied in my own mind. I see it now, but I hadn't tied in my own mind the length of survey diminishing my trust that they would do anything with it. I just sort of kind of scoffed at the length, but you're right. As you're going through that, you're like, really, are you going to, are you going to do anything with question 17 branched off of the last four questions based off of my response? No, of course you're not. Well, and it's, it's amazing how often the longer the survey, the less likely they are to do anything with it and the less likely they are to get the data that they need to get to yeah. make the survey informed. And if you take a really long survey and you walk it in front of the stakeholders sometimes, and I've done this before. 50 something questions and we say, all right, who owns this question and what do you do with oh, it? Yeah. And suddenly everyone's quiet and you start going and suddenly it's 40 questions, 45 questions out of 50 that no one knows who gets the report. No one knows why it was in there initially. Someone <laughs> needed it for something and, oh, that person's not here anymore. And, oh, that initiative, I mean, we're, we're not even doing that anymore, but we're still asking the question. <laughs> That's so true. And I think that I, I don't think that, you know, a lot of times here in the podcast, we tell stories about things and I don't think there's any company or individual. Well, I shouldn't say any, but most aren't doing this maliciously. No one has sat at, no. sat at their desk and said, I want to design a crappy survey. No, it just builds incrementally over time that someone from some department says, hey, we started this thing. We want to, you know, we just implemented blue lighting in the lobby and we really want to see what people thought about the blue lighting. Okay, we'll add that question. And it just ticks down. And what do you think about the roles at the dinner service and, and and on it goes and suddenly you're at that 15 minute survey so i love your approach there kind of going back and saying hey who owns this crickets who's going to do anything with this crickets so uh, that is yeah, strike <laughs> all right we're down to two questions which is I, I believe the perfect survey is three questions but uh we'll see where that goes now i want to switch here and even yeah. though i'm looking at the beaches behind you and enjoying that you had told me that you just got back from a European vacation. And I'm curious, what are some of those experiences that you, you had that you're going to take forward as these great memories from that trip? Well, I, I, it was a very meaningful trip for me. Um, my, my oldest had been to Europe on a school trip. And so this was the first time my two younger ones had ever been to Europe. And so, I mean, they've seen a lot of countries around the Caribbean, yeah. or, you know, close to North America, that kind of thing. But this was truly an experience for them. Just, you know, seeing that, you know, some of the things that they get to see, the buildings, the history. Um, we were in the UK. We were in Sweden. They they had a connection in Iceland where they got to spend 12 hours there. Cool. So being able to see the differences in the cultures, the feelings. Um, and it just, you know, I always tell people and I, you know. I, I live in a, a little corner of uh, Oahu as as I drive around the corner, you're going from the city and suddenly you see this ocean side. Hmm. And I tell people, no matter how many times I take a picture of it, it's not what it feels like. Right. And that's what it was for them. So it was very exciting to have some of those things happen. We also had some bad things happen. I mean, nev <laughs> never, you know, there were there. I don't call them great memories, but we look back and laugh, but uh, they'll always remember um, go, going through immigration in the UK. 
because it took three hours. Oh, um, gosh. My daughter lost her, they, they lost her luggage. And it oh, wasn't no. the, the the great Heathrow luggage debacle. It actually happened in Iceland where they transferred it to the wrong plane. Oh, no. So, um, so a lot of these things happen, but they're still memories. Now we look back and laugh at them. I mean, my, my daughter was thrilled ultimately because she got to replace her entire wardrobe that she was going to use for the vacation and still got her luggage back at the end of vacation. Nice. All right. So, so she saw it as like this huge benefit after the fact. Now, of course, when you're walking around in two-day-old contact, no one wants to feel good about it <laughs> trying to trying to sort of t- spend that first day but i mean they really you know they really enjoyed some of those things that were just unique to the space and i think probably uh, i always say you know i i don't have i always have a working vacation so i sort of knew that it was going to be this you know i'm going to vacation during the day do some work at the night when the u.s mm-hmm. is open um the thing i didn't anticipate was uh, the Stanley Cup Finals was on at the same time, oh, yeah. and my okay. son is a an avid Avalanche fan. So okay. we we were basically from one a.m. to five a.m. watching hockey. So I got no sleep during <laughs> oh the vacation, God. and I usually come back from vacations pretty well relaxed and de stressed. But after that vacation, I was like, "Wow, <laughs> I need a break." You know, normally at this part of the the show, I, I mentioned, you know, travel causes exhaustion. It's nice to take a little break. But rarely is it so self-imposed as you're describing of being the traveler during the day, the worker in the evening, and then the sports fan in the early morning. I'm not even sure what to call that, the late night, the early morning. But you clearly needed the first class lounge at some point in that trip and you may still need it today to finally recover so join me here in the first class lounge we'll move quickly here and have a little bit of fun but what is a dream travel location from your past oh that's an easy one new zealand um and it was work related but it was awesome oh really boy you don't i've had new zealand show up a couple times either as past or dream for the future you're the first that tells me it was a work destination how lucky were you for that that's awesome well, it was a unique circumstance. Uh, we were actually going to be in Australia, and my um, my coworker and I were looking at flights. We were allowed to book business class, and the seats were eighteen thousand dollars a piece. Holy crap! And she's like, "I can't purchase it. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't even put if my I'm finger allowed. on there and say, <laughs> even if I'm allowed." And I'm like, "All right, let's you know, like, see if there's a connection." And she came back and she said, "I, I found a connection." And I'm thinking Honolulu, mm-hmm. that would make a lot of sense. Nope. She says, but it's a five-day layover in Auckland. I'm like, sold. <laughs> yes. I'm all that's for fantastic. it. And we ended up we ended up going to the client and saying, you're not going to have a problem with this when we, we build this back. She goes, no, charge us for your hotel. You're saving us a lot. So I'm like, all right, awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, I love that story. I love the, the magic that the, came from having that connection, getting to see New Zealand. Now, on the flip side, what is a dream travel location you've not been to yet? Uh, that, that's a harder one because there's, mm. you know, I've been to a lot of places, but um, Utkiavik if you know where that is, I do not. Ooh, you've got a new former, one. For me. <laughs> former, uh, it was formerly called Point Barrow, Alaska. Okay, and it is the northernmost city in uh, the northernmost city in North America. Oh wow! And it's right up there at the very tip of Alaska, very top top end of Alaska. Uh, I I want to go there at two different times. I want to go there when there's 24 hours of daylight. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully catch a football game of the local high school team there who has been featured on like sports programs. Uh And then I also want to be up there for 24 hours of darkness and just to see 
how that you know how that feels boy that would be now i'm going to tell you cold. that i would prefer yeah it's going to be freezing you're talking to a texan right here i don't do cold but i i would love that 24 hour daylight i've had close to it in sweden and st petersburg russia at times but never the, the full 24 but then the idea of the darkness give me one maybe two days and then i think i'd go crazy i'm not sure how they do that up there but for listeners i'm going to get that name of that city in the show notes because even i'm having trouble capturing it in my mind but i have it in the show notes and you can scroll down and see what that uh, city is. That sounds awesome. What is a favorite thing to eat, Ken? Oh, with so many varieties out there, it's tough, but I I'm going to offend about half the country here. I like thin crust New York style pizza. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's something that, you know, if someone offers it to me, it's hard for me to pass up. Hey, it's good stuff. And if you've offended half the country, then you've delighted the other half. So just to exactly. focus on the positive, not the negative here. What's on the other side? Now I'm focusing on the negative. What is the thing your parents forced you to eat, but you hated as a kid? I think my sister and myself unanimously agree it would be lima beans. Oh, yeah. They, they have a consistency that's very dry and mushy. <laughs> I don't that's know. That's... Man, Ken, that's a you're bringing back some memories because my answer to that question is Brussels sprouts, like immediately. That's the one that I remember my parents forced me. But lima beans, I forgot about those. Yeah, no, no good, no bueno. What yeah. is one travel item, not including your phone, that you will not leave home without? Oh, and I'm assuming we wouldn't include phone accessories either. Yeah, okay, not your um, charger. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take the phone without the charger. Um, I would. Uh, there's two things that I always have, and it's always in my hand carry bag. Um, that I just I can't leave without them, and it seems weird, but the first one is batteries. Okay. And the number of times I've just needed, you know, it's two double A, two triple A. Mm -hmm. I keep them everywhere. I end up throwing them out after like twelve months and replacing them. But the number of times I've been somewhere and I'm like, I just need a, a double A battery. Maybe the remote control in the yep. room isn't working, whatever it is. Uh, a couple of times I've helped out flight attendants who were like, I can't find a battery. Um, the second thing, uh, it, I mean, very uh, operationally minded, uh, dental floss. Uh, if you're on an airplane and you chew into something, there is nothing worse than spending the next four hours uncomfortable because something's stuck between your teeth. Oh, Ken, I love asking that question when someone hits me with something new. You're my first dental floss. I love it. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking I've got dental floss in my desk back there. I've got it in other places. I need to add it to my everyday carry bag for my travels, too, because you're right. That is a nightmare experience if you're flying from L.A. to Hong Kong and you got some apple between your teeth. So mm -hmm. floss is going to get added. Oh, I like that one. Now, we were talking a little bit about surveys earlier, and, and surveys are still relevant. I'm not here to say that the survey is dead. You, you'll hear that, you know, customers don't respond to surveys. It's not dead. It's still a very rich source of customer insight. But customers do provide their voice in ways well beyond the survey. So how do you listen beyond the survey? What does that look like for you? Um, I think for me, beyond the surveys, two of the real key listening posts, I mean, obviously, Customers are going to call in. Usually when they're calling in, it's a complaint. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's one slanted side. But I, I love being able to watch social media and review sites. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we all do it. And I think we can all relate to it. And you mentioned before surveys being like, it should be one question and a one open end. Like, 
<laughs> what it, what is a review? It's one question and one open end. You're so, right. I mean, it, it really is that. And so, I mean, in some ways it's sort of cheating because it's like a survey, but it's such a rich source of feedback mm-hmm. because it's how people would talk to their friends. Yeah. About, you know, the circumstances, the, um, they, some of them really feel like they're going to be getting in contact with the company by doing so. Mm-hmm. So they'll give the rich details. They'll say, I walked in, there was no one at the desk. I waited for 30 minutes and I had to call someone just to get service, to get checked into the hotel. And they were rude and they were short with me and I felt like I disturbed them and I gave you a two star. And, you know, so you get this richness of details as if I was telling you the story about how my baggage got lost in London. Right. You're going to feel like you're part of it. When we take them through surveys, we're guiding them. And so we almost tell them what to answer, especially with the really long surveys. We ask, okay, here's this attribute. Here's that attribute. Here's that attribute. Now tell us what you think, but don't be limited by those three attributes we already named, which are A, B, and C, but you don't have to limit it to A, B, and C. So like we do guide them unintentionally, but we do. But with, with the reviews, it's just, it's so much, you know, it's so much depth that you can get from there. And a lot of volume because people are doing it willingly. Yeah. We talk about the motivation and they're motivated to do it. And some are motivated to write great reviews and some are motivated to write poor reviews. And yeah, but they ultimately think they'll be heard. And you tend to find the extremes, right? People tend to write a review if they're extremely unhappy or if they're extremely delighted. There's not a lot of, yeah, things are all right, you know, three out of five. But it's even that is even there. It's still there. And it is such a rich set of data. What's interesting to hear you say that, Ken, is, you know, I bet there's a lot of folks that think, well, yeah, that's basic blocking and tackling. Of course, you're out there listening to social media and of course you're looking at reviews, but they're not. It is amazing how many companies are either turning a blind eye or just aren't aware. There's no way they can't be aware of it. Let me not say that, but just simply choosing that's not where I'm going to put my attention. And it shocks me. It shocks me too when going back to the action thing we talked about earlier, where I'll see a review and you can tell, like go to TripAdvisor and you just go through a particular uh, properties reviews and you see that anything that was marked a one or a two gets the exact same stock answer. We're sorry exactly. for the experience. So we've translated it to our team, yada, yada, yada. And you can see that the same issue occurred a year ago and, and has been continued to occur. So nobody's paying attention to it. Uh, the inability or, to, or the choice not to act on it is so disappointing. So for you to call those out, I absolutely love that. And the chance to be able to say, you know, hey, company, if you're not paying attention to this, start paying attention to it now. And I will say a process is not a response. So every time you get that automated answer, Ugh. that's a process. That yeah. is not a response. And everyone talks about them as responses. You got to go in there. You've got to read it. Yeah. And, you know, be authentic in your response. It's like you and global warming are my two top issues when I run for Senate next year. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to say like some ivory tower, not like mythical. Every brand can read every review and respond to every customer. That's not the intent. But the intent is to say, at least be absorbent. Use those tools that we talked about earlier. Use analytics. And actually, I want to ask you about that. We're very much in that world of analytics. You were talking about the insights, the statistician, all, all of that, right? Big data, AI. And you would think that it would make it easier for companies to create these great or heck, even just moderately good experiences for customers. So with all of these tools, with all of these places to listen to customers today that you didn't have before, with all these ways to capture that information, all of these great customer experience folks, why are companies still falling short on the basics? I'll say it over and over again. 
again, no offense to statisticians, uh, we ended up we end up in uh, analysis paralysis. Okay. We, I mean, I always tell people as soon as you start talking about is this statistically significant, you're already losing the argument. Whoever is on the other side of that is not looking at it as can we take action with it. Um, you know, let's worry about making decisions. And part of that comes with, you know, even CX practitioners need to come back and not just say, hey, we found that, you know, you can drive drive our scores up by do- taking action on this attribute. Come back with three or four ideas on how you can do it. Let them shoot down the ideas. Don't let them shoot down the data or the information you're presenting. Um, I'd rather come back and say, here's idea A, B, C, and D to improve our out-of-stock rates and let them shoot down those ideas and saying, are you sure you're measuring the out-of-stock rates correctly? I love it, Ken. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. I, I want to let that be the thought that just seasons in our minds as we wrap this, this episode up. Great insights there. Uh, Ken, how can folks get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you, your thoughts about customer experience, or even about Question Pro to learn a little bit more about Question Pro? Well, uh, they can always go to questionpro.com slash Ken. Um, they can meet with me directly right there. Right. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn and I, I share my my blogs every Tuesday. We have a CX Thoughts blog that go out and um, it's all the stories that I love to talk about that right. I experience in my everyday life as a practitioner, viewing it as both a consumer and practitioner. I'll get all that in the show notes to be able to get in touch and learn more. Ken, thank you so much for today. Thank you for making me jealous with the Hawaii background, but even still, thank you for the insights. Thank you for talking to me about action. Thank you for talking to me about what it is that companies need to do to actually create better customer experiences and move to action. Brilliant conversation day. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Ken, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on CX Passport. Make sure to visit our website, cxpassport.com, where you can hit subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, you can check out the rest of the ex for cx website. If you're looking to get real about customer experience, ex for cx is available to help you increase revenue by starting to listen to your customers and create great experiences for every customer, every time. Thanks for listening to CX Passport and be sure to tune in for our next episode. Until next time, I'm Rick Denton, and I believe the best meals are served outside and require a passport. Passport.